Welcome back to another episode in the abuse series on the podcast, Meredith with a Y. Thank you so much for being here today. I have Rosalia Rivera of Consent Parenting, and I'm going to go ahead and give another trigger warning because today we are going to be talking about physical, mental, and emotional and sexual abuse. So if this is not in line with what you are able to or want to listen to, please press pause now and come back for our next series, which starts December 1st, but stay with us and we will be hearing from Rosalia in just a moment. Hello everyone, this is Meredith with a Y and I am your host, Meredith Willits. Today we are going to go deep, changing lives and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Rosalia, thank you so very much for being here today and sharing consent parenting and your story and all the work that you're doing. I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for inviting me, Meredith. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Well, not only do you help people because I, I get tips from you constantly on Instagram. So you're very active. Your, uh, your videos are amazing, but you didn't get here by accident. You didn't get to this place and just want to just help people out of the goodness of your heart. You have your own story and journey with abuse yourself. Yeah. So I am the daughter of a survivor. My mother was a child rape victim uh, who never disclosed until she was in her seventies. And my sister and I are both incest survivors in different capacities, but her, like when she disclosed, I was uh, a teenager and I helped, it helped me really understand so much about her behavior and, and about who she was becoming because of, you know, having to hold this secret for such a long time. And it actually uh, influenced what I wanted to do when I went off to school. And I actually went to school to become a sex therapist. I went, I went into psychology, psychology major, but it actually had become so triggering for me in my third year. I left and pursued photography, got into marketing, and that was my career for most of my like 20s and 30s. But then I had children <laughs> and parenthood is, you know, the train that you just never expect to come crashing through your door. It's like the way that I entered this work was through my own children of realizing that I had all of these deep-seated fears that I'd never confronted and didn't know how to approach. And so when my youngest at the time, my firstborn, was going to be going to uh, daycare, I realized how unprepared I was to send him off to, you know, in the care of someone who I, I didn't fully know. And, and all of these emotions rose up of paranoia and anxiety and like riddled with panic of who can I trust? How can I live in the world having this intense fear, which ended up opening up a lot. So I realized that I had had so many suppressed memories about my own abuse and at that point, I realized this is a much bigger conversation than just teaching my kids about body safety. So I delved in to learning so I could teach my kids. And through that process, I realized how triggering it was because I'm a survivor, because I come from a family of survivors who none of, none of who were able to really talk about it and heal from it in because there's, there really didn't feel like there was any guidance at the time. And especially if you're a parent. So I delved into my own healing. I decided that I would dedicate myself to my healing because I realized that was the only way to truly break the cycle. If I was going to continue to push past the triggers and educate myself and help my, my children and not transfer my fears and my anxiety to them, because that's how I grew up, you know, and, and having all this fear in the world. So in order to do this work, I had to go through, you know, like Dante's Inferno myself, but I feel like I've come to the other side and I consider myself a thriver now instead of just a survivor. And through that, I realized so many other parents who are also survivors are going through many of these same things and they feel alone because we don't talk to each other about it. And it's such a taboo topic, which I'm on a mission to change. I want to normalize the conversation and dismantle the shame which is part of healing and help them learn how to do it so that they can also break these cycles. And so that's how I 
I came to this work was through my own parenting and my own healing. I mean, and this is how it happens, right? This is how things are born is by way of needing to heal, by way of needing to do it a different way. Because I know when I was raised and, you know, I don't know my mom's background, the fact that you were able to know, I'm sure my mom's background is fine, but at the same time, you know, you hear stories, you see things. And so she was trying to keep us safe. And I think sometimes a lot of the conversation for a young kid, I remember it making me feel like gross and afraid and that sex was bad and sexuality touch any, just anything at all is like bad. And I remember getting the googly, googly, ebly, jeeblies, my whole body, you know, like I don't <laughs> right. know how else to describe it, but as a kid, you're like, don't talk about that. That's so gross, you know? And I think that we really don't have, or we haven't had the step-by-step, this is age appropriate. This is how to say it. This is how not to freak your kid out because Although all of those things were said to me, I still was taken into an airstream in third grade. And, you know, I thank God nothing happened, but it, it went, it went far enough. It went far enough that those boys got in a lot of trouble by their parents. Mm. That said, I came out of the airstream, you know, being asked to touch whatnot and went immediately home and told my mom. So that's, that works, right? Mm-hmm but then it was never discussed again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like I was a third grader. I was being, you know, solicited by sixth graders by, you know, parts are out and it's never asked about again to this day. No one has ever asked about that in my family. And uh, I can remember yeah. it like it was yesterday. And so, you know, then we move forward and we have kids and I love what you're saying, which is, I don't want my triggers. I don't want my trauma to be passed down because we don't think about our fear being passed down, our panic, our, our hyper-awareness. We just think, well, you shouldn't sexually abuse your kid. That's how it would get passed down, but it can get passed down in so many different ways, either by Mm -hmm. not talking, over talking, not letting them leave the house, et cetera. So, I mean, like soup to nuts of what you're talking about hits so home for me because I mean, and I'm sure it hits home for a lot of people that their parents just sweet Jesus, let us never talk about this again. Cause I can't, because they can't handle it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I grew up in that. I grew up in a sex negative home. I was taught to fear sex that it was, you know, I also grew up in a very strict Catholic home, right? So there was that other component as well, that sex was sinful. And, you know, the Madonna horror complex, uh, I just did a TEDx talk about that, and how Mm -hmm. that actually prevents survivors from reporting. And we don't realize that, you know, all of the things that some parents are, are teaching their kids that they think is ethical or moral, can actually be really can, can prevent them from sharing something that's happened to them, which they end up then taking with them and feeling a lot of shame about, or all of these other complex emotions um, that they don't heal from until many, many years later, if ever, right? If like ever. my mom. Yeah. Like my mom who she was 14, she, she couldn't tell anyone. She thought that she was going to get blamed, right? There's all like, we were living in a rape culture still. And so there's a lot of fear, from victims. And so if we can't even support them in reporting and healing in that way, then yeah, it's very likely that they're going to unintentionally pass that trauma along, much like my mom did to tell me, you know, don't dress a certain way. Don't, you know, cause uh, people to, you know, put attention on you that is going to be negative. And So a lot of times that's people don't realize that that's like victim blaming mentality instead of talking about educating on what consent is and what children's rights are and how they can vocalize boundaries and empowering them instead of teaching it from a fear based place, which is how I was taught. I wasn't taught that consent could be withdrawn. So when I was 17 and I was date raped, I thought it was my fault because you know, I had no idea that consent can, can change and that I have the right to vocalize that. And what I wear doesn't mean that I'm saying yes, right? So all of these messages that we're now finally seeing 
are fantastic, but even still parents are afraid to talk about them. They don't know how to talk about them. And so part of that work requires us healing and learning how to grow through that healing to teach our kids, to model to them what boundary setting looks like, what self-love looks like, because you have to have self-love in order to set boundaries. I see parents challenged by this all the time. If I, you know, say to so-and-so that my child is, you know, I don't force them to hug or kiss their family members, they're going to be so mad at me. And it's like, well, do you, you know, is that family member then worthy of you? Right. I, I want people to let that sink in. If that family member is not willing to respect your boundaries or the boundaries of your children because they feel entitled, are they truly worthy of you and your love and your respect back? Because in order to respect someone, you you need to feel that it is mutual, right? And that's really what boundaries are about. And that's really what understanding our self-love and self-worth is about too, right? And I think a lot of times, unfortunately for survivors, they don't feel worthy of setting boundaries. And that's a, that's a, a worth conversation, right? How do you, like, do you feel worth that respect? And a lot of times if we have that trauma that's unhealed, we're not going to be able to set those boundaries with confidence and feel like I deserve having those things respected. My children deserve having their boundaries respected. So a lot of it is, you know, it, it is that healing piece of, of learning to accept ourselves, to love ourselves, to heal ourselves so that we can really come from a place of empowerment with our kids. And that does, you know, that won't happen overnight. I think some people are like, they get overwhelmed by that and they think, Oh, never mind. Like I'm not going to be able to do that work, but I promise you that you can. And it's just about finding maybe the right guides or doing it at the right time or finding the right support but it is possible. And so I, I, you know, I always come from this place, like it says on your shirt, faith over fear, right? Mm-hmm. We have to have faith that we can heal. It's possible for everyone, regardless, you know, you may think your trauma is the most horrendous thing on the planet and it could very well be. However, I believe that the human spirit and our capacity for healing and love outweighs any of that. And it may take longer yeah. for some people than others, but it's still doable. And if you're a parent, your children are worthy of having a parent who can heal, is, is going to dedicate themselves to that in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So it can start small, you know, and this has it, been, yeah, I mean, this has been a process for me because I, you know, I grew up in the whole, like, if you wear a miniskirt, you know, like I was date raped. I I thought I couldn't change my mind. I actually went to breakfast the next morning in a big group with the guy because I, you know, I, I said no, but he was a friend of a friend and I, I didn't want to be that girl. I didn't want to cause problems and be a pain in the ass. And so I just sat there quietly and, you know, slowly died over my pancakes. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then get to live with it. But again, I didn't want to cause a problem. I grew up and I worked in a, in an industry of all men. And if you caused a stink, then you were a pain in the ass. You weren't a guy's girl and no one wanted anything to do with you. And so those that worthy or lack of worth that, that you can basically do or say anything to me and, I just have to put up with it too bad. Like, and so now, you know, raising daughters, I'm so aware of making sure that they can speak up for themselves, making not like talking back to be rude to me, but at the same time, like, I don't want them to be afraid. Like I always remember being so intimidated by everybody and having no boundaries because there were no boundaries, you know, like your parent was in charge and that was just too damn bad. And adults were adults. You respect your elders, like all that BS that, that is what gets these kids, in my opinion, into so much trouble. And we're seeing it from Catholicism to now we're seeing so much coming out about Mormons. I mean, what those, those pastors over in the Mormon church are asking those kids. I mean, for the love of God, it's, it's a thing. If you haven't looked into it and you're listening to this, it is, chilling what those priests are asking those 16 year old kids. And so like you said it, the rape culture, and it comes from this, 
you know, you don't speak back to elders, you respect, go give grandma a kiss. I mean, it's so gross and it gets kids to think that they are not allowed to say no, that they have no bodily autonomy, that they have no boundaries that cannot be crossed, that they're just at the will of every adult and teacher and priest and pastor and aunt and uncle. And that too damn bad. Don't cause a stink. And it's, I mean, when you sit here and talk about it, it just makes too much sense. It's just mm-hmm. too, it's too basic. It's too, yeah. it's too basic. Yeah. Well, and I have in one of my programs, I talk about that. It's, it's a whole class dedicated to talking about the concept of figures of authority, right? I think as, as a humanity, we, we look to leaders, right? But we're also raised with this idea that you don't question your leaders. And I think as as humanity is evolving, it's our civic duty to question authority. But we need to start raising children that way and not shifting that conversation once they become adults. You, You see these kids going off into college and university and they get pumped up to say, oh, my God, look at all the injustice in the world. Like, let's go do something about it. But if they had started from a young age to question those things as they grew up, right? How empowered would they be at that stage to say, you know, here's all the things that I can do about it. Instead of saying, how can we be living in this injustice? They, it's not that we're going to expose them to the injustice when they're young, and then they're going to, you know, be jaded by the time they get to, you know, their twenties, but it's to say questioning and challenging and really understanding, is this person acting as a safe person? Is this person acting in my best interest? Right. Or are they acting in their best interest, which is harming, causing harm to others? And so when we teach this from a young age and we teach kids, like I said, about their rights, bodily autonomy is still a foreign concept to so many parents. It's like, what do you mean my child gets to say no to me? Yeah. So they, you know, they have to learn how to do. I teach consent education as well as abuse prevention education. And a lot of people get confused because they think, well, isn't that the same thing? Consent is really about understanding that you are an individual, that you have the right to make decisions about your body. This is why you get consent forms when you go to the hospital or you get consent forms where you, you know, when you're doing something, a legal transaction to say, do I have your permission, right? And essentially that's what consent is about. It's about understanding permission of someone else's rights and asking them and learning how to engage in mutually respectful relationships, right? That's what consent is about. Abuse prevention is learning to recognize when abuse is happening or how to, you know, as a parent, recognize grooming so that we can see those red flags before they happen, right? So that we recognize the wolf in the sheep's clothing or the, the, yeah, (laughs) I'm like, I always think I get those backwards, but, (laughs) but essentially, you know, like that's really what it comes down to is understanding your rights so that you can understand when abuse is eminent and how to report, how to prevent it. So it's not a repeat situation so that we can not re-traumatize, right? So we can help that person get the support they need there's so many angles to it, right? But to start with, you have to start with understanding that we have rights and that starts from when a child is born, you know, and and we tend to look at it very old school still. A lot of parents are like, you know, I get, I, you know, because you belong to me as a child and you're living in my house, these are the rules. This is how it goes. This is what you can and can't do. And I think now there's a, there's a movement of parenting coaches that are teaching about conscious parenting and recognizing, you know, it's respectful parenting and recognizing the child as a whole being that we actually, instead of telling them how to be, we're allowing them to express who they are. And can you imagine, you know, I'm 43, I'm still figuring out who I am because I wasn't allowed to be who I was when I was a kid, right? I was taught who to be, how to be. Don't speak up. You know, if you got something to say, don't say it to the wrong person. You know, wear this, don't wear that. I mean, everything is so constricted. And of course, children are seeing this as you're the figure of authority. I have to do what you're you're telling me. And so if they're not taught about abuse prevention, then they become so vulnerable to predators because of all of these other aspects that you never think of as parents, you know, 
oh, I'm forcing my child to, you know, when you, when they go to school, right? How many times were you told, listen to your teacher, do what your teacher tells you versus you should listen to your teacher. And if they do something that makes you feel uncomfortable or makes you feel unsafe, then this is what you do. And this is who you tell. And this is how you get access to help, right? Those are very different conversations so that you're empowering your child. It's like, okay, yes, we do want them to cooperate and be part of a classroom and do all the things that you, you know, are going to help them. But if that person isn't a safe person, then you need to let them know how to make that distinction so that they don't become that prey. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I'm thinking, when I'm listening to it, it it does remind me of so many conversations because I do work with parents, just like in general with life coaching. And I always tell like the boy moms, how important it is to, for that child to fully understand the concept of consent and that no consent is not consent. Like I was drunk and passed out, but inside of that same conversation, we are seeing women, my age, your age and older at much older saying that a lot of times that they by the default of being left alone with their own husband are they're really not giving consent to sex and they are just giving in, but they don't want to be a quote bad wife or their husband to cheat on them. I mean, the layers and levels of, of, of this conversation go from birth to death because Mm -hmm. so often as women, we find ourselves on this end of obligation And not wanting to cause a stink. I mean, to this day, I still have never had a conversation with my mom or dad about basically anything that has ever happened to me Hmm. because they don't want to hear it. And you know what I mean? Like, and that, I don't know if that's that white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or if it's a Catholic or whatever it is. I mean, I think that every sect, every whatever, we all have our own keep your chin up, get your nose clean and don't talk about it and just, you know, serve the figgy pudding, you know, like mm-hmm. there's so much in our culture about don't cause a problem. And what you're saying is, is cause problems every totally. every all the time, like wear your mini skirt, cause a problem, come home, tell your parents, don't take yes for it or don't take no for a, just be you and it's okay to be you and it being you will keep you safe. Yeah, I mean, I I think that ultimately the message that I give is that absolutely be yourself, you know, and empower kids to recognize that they that their voice matters, right? Because really, when we're saying, speak up and talk, speak up and question, speak up and, you know, challenge, right? We are saying use your voice. Yeah. Right. And and so that's really at the core of the message. It's, you know, I'm not going to say parents should, again, because we still live in a rape culture, I'm not going to you know, encourage parents to say, let your child go off in a mini skirt. I think we should live in that kind of world where it doesn't matter. And I think through the work that we do, we're creating that world. We're not there yet. However, we do need to talk about that. And we do need to normalize these conversations, right? You and I having this, this talk and the audience that's listening to it will hopefully move forward with action, right? It becomes voice to action. So what's the action that parents can take? Well, they can think about what are the different messages that they've given their children so far, or what are the messages that they see in the media that they can challenge and discuss with their children? You know, the messaging that, you know, and I'll give you a perfect prime example of this. My children were watching a Disney movie called Cats and Dogs. I don't know if anybody's seen this, but there's basically, it's like, um, it's a spy movie, but with cats and dogs, right? So the cats and dogs are literally the spies. And this one sort of new character gets introduced to this spy lab and or cave or whatever. And so he's standing there looking around at the at the building. And all of a sudden, these two female dogs come into the scene. And you could tell because the music changes. All of a sudden, it slows down. It's sort of this like kind of sexy jazz music. And this is supposed to grab the attention of this. I think he's a German shepherd. (laughs) And these two, you know, female dogs walk by and it's, you know, all slowed down. And then he says, hey, ladies, 
love to see you, uh, love to watch you go, hate to see you leave or something like that, right? Mm. And I mean, first of all, I was shocked that this was put in because to me, this is cat calling. Ironically, it's dogs, but it's cat calling. And it's now being normalized to my three young boys watching this. Yeah, I do not want them to think that this is okay, that this is acceptable behavior, that girls or women like this, right? And I had to pause in in the middle of that. And I said, FYI, girls don't like that. (laughs) Don't do that. You know? Well, I mean, isn't that all Disney movies though? I mean, well, I think, but my point is that this is all media. It's media that's everywhere, regardless of whether it's Disney or not. This is, you know, we're, we're seeing this infused and, and this is normalized, right? So if we're not calling it out, then our kids are, are receiving this messaging as what is appropriate behavior. Yeah. So these are the little things that we can do. I mean, I think that a lot of people think, oh my God, it's overwhelming. It's like, where do I start? What do I teach? You can look at things that you realize are not okay and point them out. And it's not to like, you know, with my kids, I didn't stop and have a whole, you know, discussion about it. We had that later at dinner when I said to my husband, hey, we were watching this movie and, you know, they, the kids were watching this scene and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We talked about it then, but it gave my kids the opportunity to think about it. My kids are really young too. So yeah. not that they would go catcalling, but I wanted to catch it right away and, and point it out to them. Because when we look at how relationships show up in the media, in music. I'm not, you know, a lot of people are like, what do you think of Cardi B and her, her music, you know, and, and it's just like making women look bad or it's, you know, objectifying them and all these things. I think that whatever self-expression you choose, right. About your sexuality, about whatever it is that you want to want to talk about. I have no issue with any of it. As long as we are responsible stewards of those expressions, right? So to me, if my child heard that music, I would see it as my responsibility to break it down. Let's talk about that. I'm not going to hide it because guess what? My kid's going to just want to see it more. And if they don't, you know, if they don't see it because I didn't let them, guess what? Their friend at school is going to like, let them hear it. And then they're going to have a conversation with their friend or a bunch of friends and they're going to have the wrong, you know, understanding of it. So I'd rather be open. I want my kids to understand I want my kids to eventually know I love sex. I am so blessed now to have a partner who has helped me have an amazing experience, which I didn't have when I was growing up. You know, I didn't have that in my twenties. I still believed that I was at fault for what happened to me. And I thought I was going to be in the like, quote unquote, horror category for the rest of my life. And, you know, all of these negative things that we tie to sex, right? So I believe part of really healthy healing and, you know, effective abuse prevention also starts, particularly for anyone who has experienced sexual trauma, is to get right with their own sex education, right? Yeah. Like go back and look at where did my beliefs and values around sex come from? What can I do to change that, to update it, you know, to what I now believe is the right you know, value and and system for me to believe in around sexuality, whatever that is, you know, I don't yuck anyone else's yum as long as no one is being harmed and it's consensual, right? Those are my markers. And so I want my kids to recognize that they, they have the ability to have an amazing sex life. And, And I think it's an integral part of our humanity and we can do it safely and responsibly. Right. So those are the things that I want my kids to know. And eventually through this consistent communication and openness and willingness to give them the ability to express themselves for me to be their guide, you know, then they can have a healthier understanding of what sexual relationships are once they get to the age where they can have them safely. Right. So right now, my goal is, of course, abuse prevention and consent education, and that can start from very young age. You know, people think you have to talk about consent with teenagers. No, you can talk about consent with a five-year-old. We're not talking about sexual consent. We're just talking about body rights. Yeah. But all of that leads up, you know, as they get older, as they evolve, as they develop, they will come to the parent as a trusted resource. I wish I had had that when I was a kid. Yeah. And I don't blame my mom for the things that she did. I'm not saying she's a bad parent, 
She just didn't know and she didn't have those tools and resources. We now have access to so much information. The people listening to this podcast and all of the episodes before me have gotten a really rich understanding, right? And maybe connected and, and have realized things about how they can move forward and heal and you know help their children. And I think that's so beautiful. Like we have the potential to really change the, you know, the next seven generations to come from the way that we heal today. And I think that's like, that's huge. just, yeah. So huge. And like, I tell people all the time, you know, like just from doing a little bit of reading and I'm going to ask you about like what you do, but it's so important that we use the right terms for our body parts. That's a huge red flag for sexual predators that, Hey, these kids do not talk about sex or sexuality or body parts in their family because they call it cookie and tutu and zuzu and all that other crap. And so they know, Hey, this is a family that's uncomfortable talking about sex. This is a great victim. And, you know, we're, we're, we're slowly working our way, I think, into trying to really prevent it outside of don't let anyone touch your private parts and then move on. It's now it's now it seems like it's gone a complete 180, like no sleepovers at any time, anywhere for any reason. And, you, you know, you can't go do this. And it just seems like it's gone so 180 from don't let people touch your private parts to you're not leaving the house. And so with what you do, and the conversations that you have and you teach and all that, what are some of the things that you, like maybe your top couple that you tell parents, like do this and don't do that. And, and how do you work specifically? Like, what do you, how do you help people? Yeah. So I I do a bit of one-on-one consulting. So if a parent is dealing with something specific that they're not sure how to navigate, they'll book a consultation with me, but I predominantly create workshops. So teaching material, so you can basically learn it and then put it into action. So a lot of my workshops are are very much that very action based, like, here's the information and here's the tools you can use to educate your kids and implement it, right? So I want parents to not just look at this or read about it, and then be riddled with fear. <laughs> it's like, that's totally the opposite. I want them to feel empowered with this information. And so all of the work that I've created, and I, I do also do some programs where I work specifically with groups of parents, but all of that is really so that they can take those, you know, take that step from learning about private part safety, but also having like the real foundations of that, which is consent and consent-based practices. And how do we apply that to the day-to-day, right? Because a lot of parents think, all right, I just got to tell my child that their body belongs to them and they get to do what, you know, and then we turn around and say, eat everything on your plate and go take a (laughs) bath. And it's like, didn't you just say that my body belongs to me? You know, so that's great. It's yeah. It's like, we, do have to make a shift. And so the work that I do is really about guiding parents on how to make those shifts and apply them. Because then when our children see that our words match our actions and they see us modeling how to do the things that we're asking them you know, to do or that we're teaching them to do, that's where you get a child that's empowered, who's not afraid. Like I look at my five-year-old now and it you know, the amount of joy that I feel when I hear them say no consent, you know, to like their brother, because it's like, Hey, I, I just said, you know, it's almost like a safe word, right? Like, you know, they can be joking around, Hey, don't do that. Stop or whatever. But when the other child hears no consent, they know it's like, okay, he means business, right? Like he really wants me to stop. And, but even beyond that, I know that my child has the ability to recognize right away if something makes them uncomfortable and either speak up to me or to that person directly. And that's really powerful because then what I know to be true is that they have confided in me because they know that I'm unconditionally supportive of them. And that's one of the biggest takeaways. I would say, you know, out of top 10 lists and all of that, is really that your child feels safe coming to you because they know that your love is unconditional. And so if I was to give anyone like the top advice, like number one thing to do is to really create a space of open communication with your child where they understand 
in their core that your love is unconditional because that's the number one thing that predators, especially, you know, 90% of abuse happens through people that the child knows and trusts, the family knows and trusts. So the number one thing that a predator will use to manipulate a child is the fear of loss of love from the parent. If you tell your parents going to think X, Y, Z, or your parents going to think you're bad, or they're going to stop loving you. And if someone were to say that to my children, they would call bullshit. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're fine. (laughs) They would. They would. And that would be the number one deterrent. You know, kids that are vulnerable because they haven't been taught about secret safety, that would be the number two. Secret safety is critical information to teach your child, right? So number one is unconditional love. Let your child know, create that open channel of communication. Number two is a secret safety because then your child knows, okay, if someone's asking me to keep a secret, they're asking me to break the trust between my parent and I. Yeah. And even if it's a good secret. Yeah. And I'm so like wacko about that. Like, it's funny, like as I'm learning in life, you know, as we get older and I'm, you know, doing all of this. Back in the day, 15 years ago, my mom and a bunch of people in my town that I grew up in did this whole thing where it was like you couldn't live within a thousand feet of a school or a park if you were a sexual predator. And then, you know, my dad, he's a a, a criminal defense attorney at the time. He's like, that's not who's getting kids. Like, that's not where you have to worry about. What you need to worry about is all the people you do know. Yeah, that's like everyone's afraid of the boogie monster and the boogie monster is someone, you know, so I thought that was really interesting, you know, just moving forward in learning about all of this stuff. Like if I heard the word secret in my house, like my husband might be just like, oh, don't tell mom we went and got bagels. I'm like, mayday, (laughs) you can't say stuff like that. You know, like just yesterday, my husband said to Brock, like, I am the parent, you need to do what I'm telling you. And I looked at him, I'm like, have you ever lived in an abusive household? Were you abused as a child? Do you have any idea how damaging (laughs) that my poor husband, I'm like, do you have any idea how damaging it is to have your parent tell you that they're in charge of your life, blah, blah, blah. And so like, I, you know, you, you get so, but this is so good though, because it does make you aware of the things that got you and I broken. Yeah. And so now we're not getting these kids broken in the same way. Cause we're not saying those things that make them small and quiet and confused and mm-hmm. embarrassed, Be you careful. know, like, I mean, I know some stuff like my kids, <laughs> have sent, said stuff to me, my older kids. And I just go, uh-huh. And then you like, just try to process it. And then you're like, it's so where are you at on that? You know, like you yeah. try to like lean into it and like, what's my face doing? What are my mm-hmm. arms doing? Because you do want that open line of communication. You want them to come to you and not the internet and not their yeah. dumb friend. You want them to come to you. So you have to be so aware, like at any minute you could be told something that you're uncomfortable. And so take a breath. Like these little tiny things and holding space for our kids, letting them unload trauma or sadness or fear and knowing that you're not going to freak out, that I can handle hearing it. Right. I can handle this. You know what I mean? Like whatever you bring to me, (laughs) I might freak out later, but for right now, (laughs) I am here for you. But I think that is so, it is like the words, like you said, secrets and I mean, I have a friend that she fired her, her nanny of like 10 years because the the nanny said, don't tell your mom. And it was, it was something kind of stupid, but Mm -hmm. she said that was it. Boom. She was like, nope, doesn't matter because it, she's like, I'm not having that for my kids. So I think we're slowly, we're slowly figuring these things out. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, with rape culture, this is what it's all about. It's about the power dynamic, right? And that's where abuse comes from. It's someone who's in power, abusing the power that they have over someone who's in less power. And that happens in childhood all the way to the grave, right? And so we are looking right now at how did this happen and how do we stop it from continuing, right? What are the things that we need to shift and change? And all of that, in my opinion, at the root starts with our parenting and then also with healing ourselves and our own childhood wounds. Right. And so it's, it's a complex process only because it requires so many moving pieces. But with that said, 
the beautiful thing is that we have the capacity to do it and it doesn't have to happen overnight. I mean, I've been working on this since my child was four, they're now 10. So we're talking six years of this ongoing growth. I'm continuing to heal. You know, although I say I'm a thriver, which I feel like I am because I, I feel like I've gotten to that place in my life, but there's always new things that come up. It's like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, my child now doing this brought this up yeah, and I wasn't prepared for it, but I've put systems in place for support so I can do it. Right. And, and a lot of times I think as survivors, we tend to think we have to do everything alone. And that's where I think is one of the biggest pieces is you do need support. So whether that's from a spouse, a friend, a group, a coach, whoever it is that you feel connected to that can help you guide you, you know, through that healing process, that's really where the world is going to transform. Yeah. You know, a, a friend asked me the other day, like, what, what would you want as your superpower? And I was like, I, I, I like, it just kind of came to me and I never thought this through before, but I was like, I would love to heal someone's pain. Like if that could be my superpower, it's like, can you imagine, like, I think we could end wars if yeah. we can all heal our, our pain, right. That internal pain, that would be amazing. And so I think that that is really what will change the world is us being able to heal ourselves to then pass the healing on instead of the hurt. Yeah. And I think that information right now is going at such a high rate of speed. Like I would have never met you. And now I can watch all of the things that you're bringing to the table by way of, you know, Instagram, we're seeing stuff on TikTok that we're learning about, you know, neurodivergence and narcissism and abuse. And, you know, we're learning about things at such a rate of speed and being exposed to so much so quickly. I think it just makes the healing process exponentially faster than if these avenues were not here for us to all connect. I mean, yeah. I didn't even understand the narcissism and empath behavior until probably a year ago. And now it's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. Or, you know, like I didn't understand until people kept saying on my TikTok, I feel safe here. I feel safe here. And then I had a conversation with something. What are these millennials telling me that they feel <laughs> safe? I don't know what this safety thing is. And then all of a sudden it was shown to me in my life because I kind of always feel safe because I surround myself currently with mm. people that make me feel safe. And I was actually put into a emotional situation that made me feel unsafe. I had that, that nervous, scared, what am I going to do? How am I going to have this conversation? I was like, holy shit, this is what unsafe is. So mm -hmm. safe is you're not going to hurt me. You're not going to make me feel uncomfortable. This, this, that. So like, we're learning all of these healing concepts. And we're learning about rape culture. That wasn't even a word a year ago. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like we're learning about patriarchy and, and all of these things, which weren't even really concepts that were out in the out. Maybe it was in the therapist community, but it's bringing forth so much healing. And so like when you do these groups, like how do people contact you? Like, is it a, a is it a class that you have quarterly? How does that work? For people yeah, so that want to be involved, you know, are listening today and are like, holy shit, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you can just go to consentparenting.com and I have a tools and resources page where I share free resources as well as my workshops. I will be doing a, another 12 week program, which is essentially I walk parents through how to prepare their children for daycare or preschool so that they go off in a safe way. So that program is something that I do either once or twice a year. Last year I did it twice and, or this year, actually, I feel like it's, we're already in 2022. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we have moved this, on. <laughs> yeah. This past summer, I, I ran that program twice and it was amazing. Uh, everybody who was in it loved it. And and so that program will be available in February again. So if you're interested, you're listening and interested, you can subscribe to any of my free offers and get on my mailing list and then you'll be notified when that's open. But I also, like I said, do have workshops that are instant access. So you can sign up for them and watch it, uh, whether it's getting started or how to teach your child between the age of zero and six about abuse prevention or secret safety. I have consent letters, which are also 
essentially communication tools for talking to the people in your child's life, because I can't overstate this, but it isn't our children's job to prevent abuse. It's ours. So Mm. we need to be more open and vocal about the consent practices that we have in our home. And for a lot of people, because they're not confident about setting boundaries, they're not really sure how to do it and how to communicate it. So these consent letters are essentially communication tools that you can use, whether it's a doctor, a coach, a teacher, family members, babysitters, you know, if you're going to an event and you've, you know, taught your child not to like, you don't have to hug and kiss people, but then, you know, all your family doesn't know about that yet. You can send this letter to all your family members and say, FYI, we're doing this. This is how we practice it. We'd love for you to be part of that. So there there are communication tools that are really for those who have a hard time setting boundaries. This helps you make that easier. So there's lots of tools and resources. You can just go to consentparenting.com to to learn about all of them. And I see that a lot with people my age and, you know, not the new generation where they're like, you know, you say you need healthy boundaries and they just like glaze over. Like, what does that look like? Do I have to be mean if someone crosses it? How do I respond? I mean, our generation, you're younger than I am, but we have no clue what a healthy boundary, like it's, our families are so enmeshed. We know everything about each other. Our parents think that they can say anything to us. Like, I mean, I, I went home a couple months ago and my mom was like, what, what are we doing with the hair color? Like, and I just think to myself, like, why do, why do parents and family members think that they can say, I remember I would go to this one family member's house and they would always tell my ex-husband like, Oh, it looks like you put on some weight. Like what are, what is happening in this planet? (laughs) We just, we take so many I don't even know what the word is, but we just think that we can say and do whatever because it's family and it's okay. And, and that total lack of boundaries and it's entitlement to say whatever you want. And I learned such a lesson. My daughter and I call it the India effect, because when we went to India, I was, you know, like, you can't wear this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And she's like 20 something. And so we call it the India effect, which is <laughs> now I say absolutely nothing. Like mm. you want to do that? Have at it. You are a grown person. You don't ask me for anything. You don't need money from me. I've done, you know, you're out of college, have at it. And so I'm learning that boundaries of once you're an adult, I have no, I don't say shit to her or my son, unless they ask me to the point where they're like, mom. I'm literally asking your advice. I need you to say words. (laughs) I am so aware of those healthy boundaries and not taking advantage of someone just because they're in my family. So I think that our generation just does not know how to enact a healthy boundary, to hold a healthy boundary, nothing. We are clueless. I mean, so anyone that's listening, just go take, go to her website, just so we can all learn something. (laughs) doesn't matter how old you are. It's such yeah. good information. I mean, and the fact that you have so much of it up on your website for free and as an immediate class is huge. Because I mean, some people don't have time to take a 12-week class, but you have stuff that they can take at their own pace. Is that how it works? Yeah. So they'll, it'll be like a one-hour workshop. Okay. Yeah. And the, the course is really like if you're, you know, okay, you know, your child's going to be going to school in the summer. Well, now you have this class that, you know, because... I'm talking about like comprehensive, radical shifting, especially when your child is really young, it's much easier to put all of these things in place. So really empowering your kids from as little, uh, you know, as two years old, they're just learning to talk and, you know, they're potty training and they're sometimes at their most vulnerable, right? And unfortunately, predators work in places where they can access kids. So we can't just assume and make these generalizations that, you know, this is a daycare, so it must be safe. Yeah. Unfortunately, predators, you know, know how to make themselves look safe. And so there's, you know, lots of things that we can do to, to prevent that from happening for us to be vigilant for us to let the, you know, those, we put up those red flags for predators. Like you said before, they see that this kid's prepared. This kid has some knowledge. This parent is like watching closely. That's not going to be an easy target. I'm not going to, you know, go after that kid. So the more that we do that, the the safer our children will be. And so, yeah, there's, there's workshops if you want to just kind of like dive in, but if you want to go deeper, 
then you would join one of the 12 week programs. Yeah. Cause we want our kids to be in sports and go away to camp and have totally. sleepovers. We want our kids. We want to send our kids to preschool and school and feel confident that we have empowered them to stay safe by way of the things that we're doing in the household. And this is, this is so, I mean, and that's the thing, like every, you know, every single one of these episodes where there was this, the abuse in the series, not every single one, but it was a lot of fear of telling the parents, fear of not being believed, fear of your parents, you know, I'm going to kill them or I'm going to kill you or they're going to hate you. Like it's, it's all of what you're talking about. Lots of lots and lots and lots could have been solved in a lot of these situations. And not just in my series in life, right? Mm -hmm. If these kids would have known my mom is not going to die. She's been informed. We've had these conversations, whatever you're telling me is BS, like you said about your kids. Mm -hmm. And so thank you so much for being here and sharing your, how you got to here. And also such great information. I mean, cause this is, I mean, I have moms that will say to me, Meredith, can you have the sex talk with my kids? I shit you not. They will literally ask. I'm like, no, because I have the two older kids. Yeah. I'm like, no, you have to do this. That's part of it is showing, showing that open communication that yeah. this is something that we talk about. And so there's parents that are still afraid to just even have the birds and the bees talk. Very, very basic. So you're going to, you know, you give the tools to go even farther and help us through all of this. And I so appreciate you for creating this and, and using difficult times and challenges in life to create a positive. I think that's also how we heal. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, uh, you know, I love that you're having these conversations and that you're normalizing these conversations. Like we need to make these not taboo. They're, they don't have to be. We need people to recognize that the only way through this is by actually going through it and not avoiding it, not brushing it under the rug. You know, it, it's just, we have to do it in order for our kids to be safer, in order to dismantle rape culture and, and to create a culture that we want our kids to thrive in, right? That they don't have to live through trauma and all the things that we went through. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Rosalie. I so appreciate you and everyone go over to consentparenting.com. And then she's also on Instagram at consent parenting. Is that all one word or do you have an underscore in there? All one word, all one word over at consent parenting. And you have so many great videos. It's very, very interactive Instagram page. I love that so much. And all of this is going to be in the show notes, but thank you so much for being here and sharing. If you haven't heard the entire series, go back to the beginning. Lots of amazing heroes on this series. And I just really appreciate it. I've known you now, what is it a year or so? I don't know. It feels like we're both like blowing up since we met each other. I swear yeah. our little group that we all met each other on for Hey Mama has just really seemed to be thriving every day. We get emails from this one or that one, and it's so great to see. And so Thank you so much for being my friend and thank you so much for being here for others. I so appreciate you. Thanks, Meredith. I appreciate you too. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.